Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Hi, Catherine. It's a pleasure to see you. I feel like I haven't seen you for a very long time. You've been super busy. I have been. I've been writing updates to my book. I'm very excited, not announcing, but very excited that we're going to release a soft cover edition in the spring. That's my goal. And hold on, and this is for Stop the Killing, because I know that you're actually working on another secret squirrel project, right? Now I'm working on a couple secret squirrel projects. Are you? But are you allowed to give us any little tidbits at all? I will say this. Exclusive listeners, here we go. You know my subject area. I'm writing a little handbook for parents. That is absolutely genius. You know, how do I keep my kids safe when I go to church? How do I keep myself safe when I go to the movies? I love so, that. So like a little cheat sheet with some golden rules, yeah, just to exactly. quick reference as well. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. also, you know, how do I look for people around me? So and I'm when can we expect this to be ready and out? I'm hoping in the spring. More okay. to come. More to come. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, as we go to record this. Wait, uh, wait. Now oh. you oh. have changed locations, as I recall. No, I have not. You always think I've changed locations. This is still the same <laughs> office that I sit in every day. But I Can thought you, you were tell? going to change location. I am going to be changing location. <laughs> I just thought you moved your office with you. <laughs> Do you know what's hilarious? If you're actually just listening to this, you won't realize that my office is quite distinctively, a quite distinctive <laughs> background, actually. <laughs> and maybe it's the fact that I've got a giant parrot vase that's been added to the background that's thrown you. I don't know. But I'm still in the same <laughs> office in my house in London. But what you were alluding to is that probably by the time this comes out, I will be home in New Zealand for the summer, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, it'll be exciting. It will be exciting. I haven't been there for three years because of COVID. And I'm doing one of these four-day hikes, which I'm quite nervous about because I do not like to do anything without, you know, my nice comfy bed. But um, Yeah, wait a minute. Four-day hike, does that mean like four days, no bed, four days, no shower? What? It means probably four days no shower, which is pretty grim, isn't it? Um, I don't know. I don't keep think my I've distance. got showers in the huts. So there is huts. I'm not sleeping in a tent. For you listening in America, that's hut. H U T. We do need a podcast with subtitles, which would be impossible. That's right. Um, that's right. Yes, exactly. Well, okay, so 
all that's that to good. come. I'm excited for you. I know I'm excited for you. I think it'll I'm be fun. I'm excited. And I'm sure we'll be doing a few recordings from New Zealand, so we might have some different backdrops coming our way. Hey. Let's crack on to what we're actually going to have a chat about today because as we go to record this, the Parkland School shooter has been sentenced. And I just wanted to touch base and circle back to this because we've released three episodes on it in season three. And I know you've been following it, obviously, very closely. Tell us what the actual sentence was and, I mean, the reaction to it, if you can. Well, it's a little complicated, so I'm going to read it. So for our listeners, if you don't recall, the Parkland shooting refers to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where 17 children were murdered and 17 people injured in the school with a shooter who came in from off campus, came into school and went into one of the several school buildings that are there. Shot a bunch of people on the first floor, went up and shot a bunch of people on the third floor. He fled the scene as one of the students at the site. Right. Yeah, which is frightening. And they managed to obviously to capture him. Mm. And he pled guilty. So in the American system, then there's a separate sentencing phase for him. And so, keep in mind, this is four years later. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what he was sentenced to. Of course, I would say, oh, of course he was sentenced to life. But this occurred in the state of Florida, which has the death penalty. And some states in the United States have the death penalty as a permissible sentence, and some don't. And the sentencing jury heard months of testimony about whether or not he should be sentenced to death. And then there was a jury verdict on that. And the verdict was that he should not be sentenced to death. So before we talk about that, let me tell you what he was sentenced to. Because I have to read it because it's complicated. So he was sentenced to life in prison without a possibility of parole. And that would be because you have to have a unanimous verdict for a death penalty. And the jury was not unanimous. The shooter here is 24 years old. He was ordered to serve a life sentence with no possibility of parole for each of the 17 counts of murder to which he had pleaded guilty. Sentences to run consecutively, which is kind of hilarious that they have to even say that. And then the judge imposed a sentence of life in prison with a minimum of 20 years to serve on 14 of the 17 counts of attempted murder. That's the 17 people injured and life without parole for the remaining three counts of attempted murder, all counts to run consecutively. Let's just break that down a little bit for me. You know, I know life means a certain number of years in some countries. Mm -hmm. Does life mean his entire life or is it a set number? Here in the U.S., it generally means life. Life means life. First of all, I should just qualify and say 50 states, every state has different rules, which is very complicated. Plus, the federal system has its own complicated rules. So sentencing is based on a million factors, including age. This is a 24-year-old who was very young when he committed the crime. And the other factor that's really important in sentencing is sentencing and verdicts are all a process. And many of these processes have a rights to appeal. So if you plead guilty, you can't appeal and say, oh, no, I, I'm just kidding. I, I wasn't guilty. So you can't change that. But if you get sentenced to this particular sentence for whatever number of years, then you can appeal that if you want. So His attorneys will no doubt appeal and say that he should be given something somewhat less, perhaps. They may, they may not. One of the situations in this case is that no one expects that there's going to be any significant appeal. Really? Any appeal that's relevant. I think the question for the victims, the 
sentencing hearing took months and there were family members, including, you know, family members we've spoken to like Mm -hmm. Max Shatner in court every day that they were able to be there to listen, to give their victim impact statements. And that's what occurred in the sentencing, in the death penalty hearing, right? First, there's a death penalty hearing, then there's a sentencing. So in the death penalty hearing, there was a jury that decided to not send him, as we would call it, to the chair. So then all of that testimony and all of that emotion from all those months of people trying to get this guy to be sentenced to death, and then the jury comes back and says, no, we're not going to approve that. You know, we'll give him life. And then the judge decides how the sentence for life is meted out. He won't get out of prison ever. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Well, let me just add this. A lot of people have never been in a courtroom and they've never been in a criminal case. Have you ever been in a courtroom? No, I don't. I'm trying to think. No, I've never been in a courtroom. No. So I used to be prosecutor in Chicago, right? And Mm -hmm. so I was in the courtroom all the time. Most people don't even realize that trials are public and anybody can go sit through a trial Mm, anytime. Yeah. You can go sit, I think, at the old Bailey in, in the middle of London. There you go. Right. Exactly. So people go and watch them like it is the ultimate true crime, uh, you know, live cast. And so it's kind of fun to go in and see those. Maybe depending on the trial you get, I think. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so in this case, the courtroom was crowded with Mm. affected family members. Yeah. I did see a lot of the footage and obviously recognized Ryan and Max mm-hmm. we both had on the podcast there and just watching the heartbreak on their faces, which yeah, imagine every day getting up and putting on your Sunday church clothes and going to court to sit in a courtroom and listen to somebody talk yeah. about a killer. You know, it's just your life's on hold, isn't it? 
I think it was for these guys. I think that's mm. a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, something else that's interesting, I, I heard a great turn of phrase about what was happening at the sentencing that made me understand why the victims and the survivors' families and those who sat in the courtroom, that it's hard to explain how palpable everything is in a courtroom. There is such incredible emotion pulsing through the courtroom to the point where people are very into themselves. They don't look around the room. Every person there is there for a reason. It makes sense because you're basically reliving probably the worst day of your life. So there's a lot on the line. No, I think that is a great observation. It brings up all the emotions all over again. You know, as soon as a defendant comes in, the people who are impacted by this individual, you might be 10 or 20 feet away from somebody Mm -hmm. who killed your child. I can't imagine being that close to someone. And I think that's also why I could never imagine how I would feel about the death sentence. Because Mm -hmm. I could never imagine the raw emotion that those people are going through. I think it's hard to get a jury pool that doesn't have strong opinions about the death penalty and what to do and how to sentence somebody. And people do feel that sense of responsibility. How can I be so important that I'm the one who's going to make the decision about whether this person lives or dies or goes to prison? Yeah. Well, going back to that, if we can revisit the jury situation and the verdict, you mm -hmm. mentioned that it needed to be unanimous. Do we know what the split was? How many people voted for and how many people voted against death penalty? In every case, the jury can decide whether they want to speak publicly. Generally, what happens is the judge will say to the jury, you can speak to the press if you'd like. And oftentimes, jury members do not want to ever speak. In this case, when the jury came out, I remember reading that the jurors were all looking down right? Imagine being the one who's deciding whether or not your neighbor's killer is going to get the death penalty. Now you're making a judgment call because it's juries of your peers, right? So in uh, most cases, the jurors don't speak out. Is there any chance that when this goes to appeal, his sentence could be reduced to have a parole number on it at all? No. Right. But I think it really also goes to a question of what kind of care does he get? Sometimes people are looking for an insanity plea. They're wanting to get care. They're wanting to be not housed in the general maximum security prison population. I know that for people who have lost a loved one, they don't care where he is. They want him gone forever. And I think you heard that after the verdict. Max, I know, was on television and the vitriol, you could hear the anger in his voice. But I think the tenor and the tone was, you took my child's last breath, I'm going to take your last breath. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of eye for eye. And just the anger, you know, is incredible. And you know what I was going to say before, one of the fascinating kind of analytical thoughts that I had heard and I, I kind of processed is that it's hard to understand and appreciate how emotional it is every moment you're in the courtroom. It's so thick with emotion. You're literally, when you walk in, you're lifting your feet and putting them into puddles of emotions so thick in the room. So the hearing on the death penalty that went on for months, I thought this was a great explanation just to say anger that I see, that I saw, that I hear that wells up in the victims and the survivors really has to do with putting humanity to a person who committed an inhumane act. They're talking about who he is and why he might have redemptive values and why he shouldn't be put to death 
and how he grew up and what his circumstances were and his goals or his aspirations, his family members, you know, where he could go from here forward, how he could be reformed. And in the case of the victims and the survivors, there's such anger, understandably, in every day, a person who didn't care about the humanity in the schoolroom is given a human face over and over and over again. I thought the humanity behind somebody who acted in such an inhumane way was a good description of what prompted their anger. Yeah, yeah, totally. So let's go back to that moment when the sentence is actually read out and let's talk about the reactions in that courtroom. I know that one of the first interviews that I saw right after the sentencing was with Max, which is Max Shatner, whose son was killed. And I believe one of the first killed at Parkland School. And he was so angry. And and I don't mean angry that's bad. I mean, it's understandable, the raw emotion that comes with him saying, this shooter took my son's life. Here he is every day. We're talking about him. And and Max said, I've heard other parents say this, after this kid goes to prison, I'm never going to think about him again. And I don't think that's true. I think they want to believe that. I mean, Um, I hope that's the case, but it's just trauma and trauma on trauma on trauma, isn't it, for these parents? And it doesn't feel like the fact that this guy can then actually appeal. You almost must be sitting on a knife edge thinking, when is closure really going to be closure? I think it really speaks to the broader question of death penalty and life in prison and sentencing itself. We have this question a lot, and it comes out particularly with mass shootings, is is there a deterrent? If you know that you're going to go to jail for doing this, this is going to deter other people. That's an argument that many make, but I don't know that that apple falls from the tree. I think that for mass shootings, we're seeing little impact from deterrence. Let me explain why. Oftentimes I'll hear people say, well, you know, if if these kids knew they were going to go to jail, these kids know they're going to go to jail. They all know they're going to go to jail. Yeah. Right. This is not a bank robber who's going to commit 25 bank robberies before the FBI catches up with them. No, this is, I mean, the killer who's going to do one act. And I mean, how many of these mass shooting incidents have we ever seen or ever covered where we don't know who the perpetrator was? It's either the person has been killed on site or the person has escaped and been captured, right? I can't think of any that somebody's actually got away with. Is there? You're right. It's no, you're correct. In the original FBI research that my team did, I think we had four shooters at large out of 160 shootings. So we had a handful. But in the events that we've talked about, what you think of as these shootings, we have no instances where a shooter just disappears into a crowd and doesn't get caught eventually. Think about how these shooters are now communicating with each other going on those. Like you say, I want to be a school shooter.com. They know how these stories turn out. And right. you've spoken about it before. Generally, they go on with a plan, an exit plan, don't they? I think generally they go in and they think they have an exit plan. And a lot of times that exit plan is a shootout with the police, which they hardly ever do. And it never works out the way their plan is. But because they don't think about the whole plan, very rarely do we have somebody who thinks, oh, and then I'm going to go get in my car and drive away. So we have some of those, but not a lot of those. I think it's a really interesting question, though, whether or not it is a deterrent. And I'm you know, throwing this out there, and I'm sure you've got no answer to this straight away. But is there a way that you could ever test that theory state to state, states that have stronger deterrence versus states that have 
not death sentence penalties for these crimes. I think there might be one for Professor Adam Lankford. You know, there has been research done on deterrent factors and how influential they are. So I'll see if I can pull some of that so we can talk about uh, deterrence. I think that it just doesn't translate into these events because of the motivation behind these. Part of what they want to do is to become famous, to be, you know, notorious in one way or another. I think that the right way for survivors and victims to think about it is the way that I heard some parents speak about it is take it off your list. There certainly is research to show that there's little satisfaction gained after a sentencing. You know, I binged your uh, Clueless while I was on my way back from Michigan to Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. recently. And the idea that that person who bilked so many people out of so much money over time seeing him punished, how much satisfaction do you really get? Uh, You don't get your money back. In the case of the Parkland families, they don't get their family members back. So it's very hard to get satisfaction out of any kind of sentencing. And I think that the right attitude is to live the life that their loved ones want them to live and to forget about a horrible person and move on. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping, don't follow it down. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I've been dating for the last six months is a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. 
coming up in this series. And that's when murder, mm. all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story.